in a very special episode of the XR for Business podcast. We're driving in a car with Timothy West, head of XR Research. Director of XR and Unity Labs. Director of XR at Unity Labs. And Cole Crawford, CEO of uh, Vapor.io. Vapor so we're driving on our way up to Curiosity Camp through these beautiful windy roads and we decided that we would record a podcast because Cole in his incredible company building the infrastructure of cloud computing they built an AR app to help service that and I thought what a cool way to use this technology and this time with this beautiful drive wow look at the size of those trees they're enormous oh my god <laughs> Wow. Well, anyway, hey, Timony, how are you? <laughs> I, I am doing excellently, and I'm also enjoying the view. Yeah, actually, Cole, I'm really interested to hear more about why you chose to, to go with that and what the process was like. My team is working on tools for mixed reality, so where Unity itself is used to make, I think, 90% of all uh, HoloLens applications right now, so I'm sure you use Unity for that. But the tools that we're making today are allowing, I think, for you to more easily make robust uh distributed applications that can work across various devices and for various users. Yeah, and that's 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 very needed. And first off, Alan, I just want to say you uh, you sound like you should be a podcast DJ. So, um, <laughs> so it's cool that well you are. done. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean the uh, the the issue for us when we started down this journey was um, very much a question of how robust could we make an experience, but how widely could we make that experience? And the vertical integrated solutions that you had to choose from in the early days of AR, VR, um, I think are prime for disruption. I'm super glad to hear that Unity is working on the, the open APIs, et cetera, needed to bring this technology to more users. As I'll, I'll quote, uh, maybe a little cliche being where we are and where we're going, but yeah, um, I want to hear like what does what does the problem your company solves? Yeah, so we we uh, we have to think about not four but forty thousand different data centers. So we're an edge computing, you know, edge data center infrastructure company, mm -hmm. uh, and with that means you can't mechanical Turk yep. what was originally done in data centers. Um, it works with four buildings. It doesn't work with 40,000. Yep. So we had to build autonomy into every aspect of our business sure. and every aspect of the infrastructure. And that means building really simple interfaces for what would otherwise be really complex problems. Mm -hmm. And at scale from a logistics supply chain, remote hands, smart hands, all the things that you do in data centers, what that means is your FedEx guy, your UPS guy, a, a contracted company that otherwise would need specialized training now it's it's visually assisted capabilities for what would otherwise be a job that you would train for and then go work in a data center and we simplify that so basically what you're saying is that you've given real-time tools to anybody to be an expert on the field in the field it's it's fair to say that the software is the expert and what you need are opposable thumbs <laughs> <laughs> which democratizes the whole need for training like you know it's funny i was just uh getting drinks with someone from open was it open ai and he was working on the robotic hands with the opposable thumbs and went on at length about whether or not that's really necessary it's a pair tremendous of challenge yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um okay so from what I got from our earlier conversation, someone goes to a data warehouse, they're looking at a RU, you said? Oh, an, a rack unit. A rack unit, yep, right. Yep, yep. Uh, and they get some information that comes up that says if it's broken, if the client wants it serviced or just repaired or replaced entirely. Um, so anyone could have the HoloLens on and, and using uh, an image marker know what is contextually needed for, for this particular server rack. And the advantage to using augmented reality for this versus just having a bunch of displays is that the monitors don't break. If the HoloLens doesn't work, you get another one. It's, it's, it's all right there. That's awesome. Is there any other use cases that you're using augmented reality for or virtual reality? Anything um, like, like seeing the, the, the warehouse at scale, et cetera? Absolutely. For, yes. And some of the work that, Timmy, you guys are doing, I think is incredible. If a HoloLens breaks or if a Magic Leap breaks or whatever the hardware happens to be, 
to go back to what I, the, that cliche quote of Mark Andreessen said software is eating the world. Yeah. If something <clears throat> fails in hardware, you should be able to take out your phone and have that same experience. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think that's the real key to scale. It has to be, yeah. right? It has to be kind of a bring your own device. You have yeah. to get to that point. Well, even um, the, the new glasses, so Nreal uh, <clears throat> launched their glasses this week at AWE, and their glasses plug in USB-C into your phone. That's and awesome. And now it's using the processing power of your phone to give you really, really good heads-up AR and it's positional tracking and everything. So yeah, it's, it's incredible. A very lightweight pair of glasses for yeah. 500 bucks. I yeah. know, and the image quality was really great, and they really do a good, good job of containing. I mean, the field of view obviously is constrained to the glasses. Yep. But it fits in so nicely in the frame. I was super impressed when I tried it out. Yeah, they're very lightweight. They're comfortable. And this was what's amazing about Silicon Valley today. I mean, I'm just I'm just reminded of like where we are. This, yeah. I, I wish you guys could see this. <laughs> I, you know, I'll Imagine take a video. A green <laughs> I'll take a video <laughs> of us so driving right. up, and we'll put it in as a GIF. Yeah. It, it's Imagine just, like Lord of the Rings. It's totally right. We it is. We're driving up with <laughs> thousand-year-old redwood trees going up a giant mountain yeah. on a windiest road you've ever th seen about in a ginormous are. tank of a truck. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But um, the pace of innovation, if you think back, Alan, and you and, I, you and I were chatting earlier about your first experience in VR, I mean, and I just last Actually, week, I got to say this. Yeah. My first experience in VR was at Curiosity Camp five years ago, and we're on our way to Curiosity yeah, Camp now. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and then Chris Milk put <clears throat> VR on my head, uh -huh. and I had this kind of aha, come to Jesus moment where I was like, this is the future of human communications. And level. isn't that what got you into tech? Yeah. That's, that's a, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. That is so cool. Well, I was in tech before, but I do I made DJ stuff, so yeah, sure. a little bit different. Um, it's all coming together now. It, it is. totally is. It's Convergence, you know? Yeah. So what I, you were about to talk about kind of the, the speed of acceleration of technology and, and I think people neglect because they get maybe they're working in IoT or yeah. they're working in yeah. cloud computing or they're working in 5G but if you take a, a really 10,000 foot view they're all work together and the fact that they all work together and they're all in their infancy now but all maturing at the exact same time you have IoT, 5G, quantum computing, cloud edge computing, yeah. you've got blockchain, yeah. VR, AR, all at the same time. Also, just I truly believe that, and this has been coming up a little bit more slowly than perhaps what you just described, but the moment we started really having sensors on computers and being able to make sense of that data, apply semantic analysis to it, that is another turning point in computing. <laughs> no, it's that crazy. is going. That's the equivalent of going from the mainframe that's the size of a room oh, to... Okay, I got chills. Oh, ah. <laughs> you actually said that. That's yeah. great that you did. Yeah. yeah, that is. Wow, you really. You did. Literally, it's amazing. Yeah. He's got goosebumps on yeah. yeah. it. Yeah, this is this is the next great thing. Having all this world information and and having computers able to understand what's going on. It's hundred percent right. Look, yeah. the the Lord Lord Kelvin is so just a little history. Lord Kelvin, you know, if you know the the Kelvin scale. Yeah. He said to measure is to know. If you can't measure it, you can't know it. Oh, I love that. It's a really cool quote. Yeah. But but think about what we can do and and what we have access to. So you, Alan, you mentioned five G. Yeah. What we have access to in 5G is is a network that is as real as the fiber optics in the ground yes. at the speeds that are the same. So right. from a latency perspective, human eye can see 150 points vertically and 180 points horizontally. Okay. And at every point, there's level. You can see about 200 uh, points of data. Okay. It's chemical. It's not. It's not. Sure. And there's different resolutions for. And different resolutions, yep. but you take some like mild compression mm -hmm. associated with that to deliver a 4K experience to each eye. Mm -hmm. And then foveated rendering. And full rendering they, yeah. with refresh rate, you're talking about 10 gigabits of data per second per eye. <laughs> And then and that's not including what you're collecting from the sensors from the outside world to, to make it all synchronized. 100% right. yeah. accurate. Yeah. So, I mean, we think about what you can do with the contextualized data yep. with the real world. Mm -hmm. It's all I think about. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's incredible. The capabilities we're going to have over the next five years as these new networks come out, it's... Uh, Superhuman. It, it's going to change. It's going to change the way humanity interacts with, with each other. Yeah. I can't wait till we go to a networking thing and, and everybody's... It's facial recognition. And it puts up their their name and who they are in front of them because I don't remember anybody's <laughs> bloody name. That should be the new name tag. You wear these glasses and everybody's face pops up. Well, I, I I just said this earlier, but I'll say it again for the record for the podcast. Uh, if you meet me and we've met before and I don't remember your name or your face, I'm so sorry. As soon as you start talking about what you worked on, though, I swear to God I'll remember that part because that's always the coolest part. Hearing about all the cool shit yeah. everyone is doing. So I also love that. Um, my group has something. Uh, 
it's a little cookish and we say like oh yeah that person they kind of get it uh, right like and i it, and what, what i mean by getting it is that we have a shared similar vision of spatial computing outside the bounds of not just talking about augmented reality or or virtual reality those are components those are displays in this larger ecosystem of network computers that run on edge that are all consistently talking to each other and have this world information to me like i don't want a computer to be a single contained piece of hardware anymore nor is it really every device I have is networked yep. but I want to live in a world where computers sort of surround me in the most intelligent and privacy sensitive way but but really just sort of are customizable to the to the point where I can wake up in the morning and have computers help me along my day in the way I want them to mm. as opposed to having a phone that I have to pick up that that's hapticless or not having my Sonos talk to my Hue lights or whatever I'm, I really want the whole thing to be yeah. the computer right it, it's interesting I wrote an article recently on BCI and uh, AI coming together mm. as like but bi-directional brain computer interface so being able to insert a chip into a brain so that you could hijack all the senses. And I talked about this example of you're walking down the street and you start smelling cookies and coffee and it gets stronger and stronger because you're getting close to a Starbucks. Or it hides it so I don't have to eat the cookies <laughs> and the cookies. Exactly. Let, let me give you an example. I'm, I'm not even talking so much about like this, like BCI is so cool but it has do you really want everything that I you're thinking know. to have in Um But I, I, I give this example in, in my talk yesterday, and I talk about it all the time. When I wake up in the morning, I want to have like little snippets of display UI that are kind of scattered around my home, and it could be a projector, it could be glasses, or it could be a brain chip implant, whatever, um, that are all just little subsets of a larger uh, compute session that is happening in the cloud. And I've customized and put these things where I want them. Oftentimes there's no visuals, maybe I'm just talking to the computer that is in the house. Um, maybe I'll have uh, cameras in, or all around the house. Oh, side note, sometimes people will say things like, is everyone really gonna put a bunch of computers and sensors in your house? Well, 100 years ago, nobody had electricity and we either like retrofitted or were willing to dig up pipes and, and put electricity in all of our homes. I think Indoor everybody's gonna have a well, 5G so. repeater in their house too. So yeah, this yeah. is, this so, is, I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll build infrastructure as long as there is enough value to us and as long as we trust it enough that we're, we're fine with it. And I think that's totally gonna happen. But yeah, I, I really just want computers to be distributed little snippets of things like a great internet of things combined with the best types of displays we could possibly have in the moment. Yeah. You'd say in your side note, you have to make the capital work. And I'm reminded of the autonomous drones or autonomous cars and you mm -hmm. know, the, the dollars that go into putting everything on board. Mm -hmm. And the way I see this at, at city scale um, is mm -hmm. that uh, from a silicon perspective, why are we putting $100 computers on 99 cent sensors? It makes no it sense. It makes no sense. Yeah. Because, it, because we don't have 5G yet. Exactly the only correct. Reason why. Exactly correct. Exactly right. So, but here's the thing: it's the, there's so many great use cases for, for 5G and, and headsets. And up until the the problem is nobody's gonna have a headset for another five years, maybe maybe more. It, it won't be a, a thing that everybody has, and they won't be really good enough, in, in my opinion. You mean for, for 5G? consumer scale? Yeah, for consumer scale. Yeah, so no, for now, fine. it's enterprise. But what can we do with the phones that still give people superpowers? And I think that's a really practical um, thought experiment where you have a device in everybody's pocket the 5g ones are going to be epic mm -hmm. and what can we do with that that we can't do with what we have now i really don't want to be running most of my compute power on local devices well uh, edge sure fine but like i, I don't want to have everything i don't want to have an individual application that i must download to my phone yeah. Yeah. Uh, for augmented yeah. reality it just simply won't work but i don't want it anyway like yep. google stadia for example being able to run it frames in the cloud that's and pretty cool have them go down to the device that's more effectively what i want and the advantage is that if we all have these compute sessions running in the cloud or yeah. concurrently running apps if i want to send you something yeah. your app's open and my app is open and it's it's just a better way to yeah. computer right a hundred percent and it, i don't know you guys might be shocked to learn this but i'm, I'm old guard telco and the, the reality is... By the way, he looks very young. This yeah, is a does. very strange statement. <laughs> so I'm very... Uh, yeah, this is like a, the late 90s. Um, but we, uh, we've built this thing called the Internet Backbone, which we all know, mm -hmm. on the wireline side. Yep. But what a lot of people don't know is that on the wireless side, 
we built fundamentally four different networks. Mm. We built the, the modern networks as we know them today with AT&T, T-Mobile, Sprint, Verizon, etc. Okay. They all built their 3G networks and their 4G networks, etc. And we're all plugging into this big internet backbone because that's where you do, if, if we're on our phones and we're watching YouTube or we're going to Netflix Amazon or, or Netflix, yeah. whatever, whatever it is, we're back on the wireline side. Okay. Right, we have to get from the phone and the modem in the phone to some radio, some base station that's mounted on a macro cell tower site. Okay. And then that has to take fiber optic cable back to a data center right. somewhere. It's and it is so not optimized. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you might be shocked to learn that it, it is not. But I, I always imagine like the, the building that Netflix had to build in New York. They had like Radio Lab podcasts about yeah. it or something. Yeah, yeah. And you don't get better at delivering these experiences by by algorithms because mm. you're not going to algorithmically speed up the speed of light. Right. So then what? You need to. It's this is and this is really where edge comes in, right? If 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 latency is a function of proximity, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, oh sure, you need to move the compute as close to the close device to or user as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And but then when build it's not, well, we're less building. <laughs> I'm all for it. Yeah. It's pretty. It's. it's I don't think people are ready for this because once we figure out edge computing at scale with all of these other technologies at the same time, I don't even know. Well, what are you worried about? So <laughs> here's what I'm worried about, and it keeps me up at night. AI is going to really quickly replace large swaths of jobs, mainly accounting jobs and data science and and huge office towers full of people that are literally doing spreadsheets are going to be wiped out because they don't need that anymore. Yeah. Lawyers, yeah. entire swaths of lawyers are going to be gone, which I don't think anybody's really going to complain about, but it'll be the, the law firms with the best AI that will win. And that's a whole job category gone. And it's not that there won't be other jobs, there will there'll be a transition, but the transition's going to get quicker and quicker and quicker. Yeah. And I don't think we have the infrastructure, education-wise, to retrain and reskill people fast enough, which is why VR and AR is needed for education and training. And you literally, your use case is literally yeah. paving the way. That's why we wanted to do this as a podcast, because you literally have built something that will be a case study for years to come. Uh, look, we hope so, but I think to your point, this, in... in, in you could do a whole separate podcast. In fact, we should do a whole separate podcast on okay. the political implications yeah. Part of two. all of this. Part two, where do we tax computers? If narrow AI is replacing sort of these these first level jobs in these right. companies, do we tax them? Okay, so if in the future we have AI that does genuinely replace human workers, and I have a, some reservations about whether or not that will happen, that have nothing to do with the tech and everything to do with socialization. I, I think then if we tax the AIs, does that lead to the window tax problem? Like the 16th century, oh, let's tax people by the number of windows they had, and everyone then bricked up their windows yep. to avoid taxes, right? Yep. So the, that's... I think you. we just have to have a, a restructure of the tax situation so that corporations pay higher tax and individuals, because what's going to happen is individuals are going to have fewer and fewer long-term jobs, and it'll be more of the gig economy, which if we can fundamentally teach the younger generations how to uh, use the tax loopholes by incorporating themselves and using the tax loopholes, then you've actually kind of artificially changed the the tax structure around because right now the tax structure is based on taxing the individual at the highest rate and corporations get all the breaks. Well, if individuals start acting as corporations, they get the breaks and the the government will take a while to catch on. Wow, that's beautiful. We should stop there and take a photo. So, Do you um, want to? Yeah, I think we yeah, should. We can turn, turn around. Turn around right here. So one thing I want to point out is that through most of human history, we did not have careers. We did not have salary yeah, jobs. That's right. yep. um, only the landed gentry could be assured of like this consistent sort of income. And while there were other social structures in place to make sure that most people, you know, reasonably knew where they were going to 
you be able to eat or you know well, like it was more the vagarities were, were nature natural not social yep. the, this whole return to the gig economy means we're only changing the social structures from the last hundred years yep. mm -hmm. so while people might think of it as this you know long-term system that is fundamentally changing how humans are if anything the last century was the blip and this is a return to the I think we can fix making women who just had a baby work <laughs> after they've gone to that's crazy we should be celebrating that and making sure that parents have as much time with their children as possible because that's what makes the whole thing better not making people work 80 hours a week just 100%. to put two things together so if the computers if you can tax them and and maybe so lessons are the human burden is what you're thinking well look if there's more time for us to do the things that we care about that and not saying that we shouldn't care about our jobs but some of the things narrow ai can accomplish um alleviate some of the pressures on how we would train how we would optimize for that function to be done by a human does it not make sense if we're taxing the computer that we create some universal basic income one of my friends uh, floyd is a huge proponent of basic income and it, it's something we have to i think nobody's going to go for it first of all in america it's not going to happen. But what we can do is we can change the tax laws to tax the corporations yep. to yep. basically redistribute it and give services to people and yep. make it so, because tax was there to serve the people, not greedy corporations that own the government. Like it's, something got off track in the world and it's not just America, but the world. I think too many people let bankers get away with stuff. I think it's going to settle down. The modern economic structure is not even 500 years old. Not yeah. even. I, I, I think... We're at a weird sort of inflection point, yep. um, and people will start over the next few yeah. generations. I, I always like to think very long term. Yeah, yeah. Over the next 60 to 100 years, I think we'll start to calm down again. Yeah. I, 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 just dystopias rarely happen, and they happen in blips, and they don't usually last that long either. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. And and here's one more thing. If it turns out that we actually, in the end, should have a series of large scale companies running the world that might not be terrible as long as the companies are set up correctly just I for agree that. With that a lot of people are going to be like no but here, here's corporations my, should not be in charge of anything here's my but, challenge to that yeah what is the one measurement of the success of a corporation that the uh, world uses as a standard today you mean yes, or right now shareholder value economics yes how much money you make that's it yeah, yeah. and but and, that has always been that, that is okay Insofar but but it's as, artificial shareholder value like we drive the, we drive the the share price of companies up based on nothing well, and well, drive them down based on nothing not nothing right you 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 you, you like from a, it, a so and obviously we're uh, there's a microcosm that exists in silicon valley but for a publicly traded company it's you, you reward yeah you reward one of two things either a dividend payout mm -hmm. or you're paying off your debt in growth yeah like that's what yep. it is but but that is been the case for any yeah. social structure humans care to name throughout all of human yeah. history you either grow or you're stagnant and you yeah. you, you don't grow corporations just happen to be like a very like closed tight loop version of any society it could have been a kingdom it could have been a tribe what, what have you yeah humans we're consistent <laughs> we're, uh, we are that that <laughs> well, i feel like the uh the hardware is more consistent the software i often I often think of us as as first century hardware running on 21st century software. Yes, yeah. totally, totally. <laughs>we just got back in the car we we stopped on the side of a mountain to take some beautiful photographs and uh, we're back i don't know where we left off but let's think about this we, we were talking about the future of work how technology is going to fundamentally change how we train and educate people but also uh, i think we were talking about um, what's the role of maybe that's maybe this is a question i'll ask you guys what is the role of the first level citizen when narrow AI is starting to start starting to actually like come into play in, in economy starting to mature yes it becomes an, a and, worker and yes yeah. it actually becomes that worker but that's it, interesting it, yeah right the, the thing is it's not going to be overnight that it becomes yeah. the worker what it's going to do is slowly one by one take large swaths of tasks so and, and two things here first AI is a f misnomer 
people are like, cool, an artificial <laughs> intelligence. And you're like, nope, this is a heavily curated and single purpose, like basically extremely good algorithm that is designed to do like one single thing. And it might be like, find cats with whiskers versus don't find cats with whiskers, yeah. right? We're talking about- But it could also be procedurally generate digital humans. That is not gonna happen for a very long time. Or buildings, ever. which I've seen. Uh, no, it, oh, you mean like an AI that makes the procedurally the, generated Exactly, building? so the sure. content for something that would take uh, a content artist, a 3D rendering artist, maybe months to build a scene, now they're procedurally generating this stuff in seconds. So, so that's interesting. So we touched on this a little bit, or I mentioned this very briefly in our, in our last round of podcasts, but there's a social component, right? So I, I have had the good fortune to meet a lot of people who make like top tier AAA content for, for movies and for games, right? These are the people who will obsessively work like thousands and thousands of hours to bring you the, the final end scene in Avengers. And even if they have procedurally generated content, the reality is they always feel like they can just finesse the shit out of it indefinitely. Yeah. And, and what I see is the creators getting more and more picky. I always go to the post-production talks at Seagraph and they'll talk about how, like in Blade Runner, how long it took them to get that artificial human looking good, um, the Rachel character, and how they had to argue with the director because he wanted the scene in Vegas to have no blues in it whatsoever and they en ended up like creating this new type of filter for the camera that had no blues. The director saw it and he was like, no, I still see some blue. And they had to literally like prove to him that there were no blues in the scene. Now, wow. this is on top of all of the best, like the, these are the, the, the highest end VFX houses in the world. These are the ones who are really pushing the limits and they're working together. It's Weta, it's Rodeo, it's all of the other yep. greats. And so what do they do when they have these tools and, and these great machine learning algorithms? They get more and more picky. Yeah, on, on, yeah. on, on Infinity War, they literally had, I want to say, like, five petroflops of data because they scanned yeah. every yeah. single yeah. character, yeah. prop, and scene yeah. in that whole movie so they could have it in post. And, like, like okay, so, sure, maybe at some point these will actually be replaced by AIs, but I feel like humans inherently don't trust the machine enough and or we just want to get our hands dirty and get involved. And, like, with lawyers, too. Sure, okay, you have an AI that can make a better decision, but the reality is humans do not make decisions based on data. We use data to justify our predetermined decision-making processes. That's, that's exactly yes, but, right. but if we did use data, we'd be actually way more effective. Oh, honey, I know. <laughs> so that's the thing. If, if a, a law firm figures this out and says, hey, wait a second, this AI is, is outperforming our lawyers 10 to 1, because it will, mm -hmm. on everything, mm -hmm. because uh, IBM Watson can read 5 million case files in an afternoon. How many can a lawyer read? Sure. Five, well, maybe? This. But what are you trying to do? You're trying so to you're set a precedent. Maybe looking for precedents. Maybe you're looking yeah. for, you can scan the entire country's records looking yeah. for precedents in seconds. But who created the AI? So, you know, I always, I always come back to yeah. the, uh, the whole, do computers dream of electric sheep? Uh, and, yeah. and the morality, we you look, at, look at the divisiveness going on in, in social media and politics right now. And it's been determined that you know, the coders that write this stuff, they have cognitive bias, yeah. and they write that into their code. Absolutely. And then the code gets trained, and it becomes bias. Uh -huh. uh, and that's how you end up with that hella racist uh, Twitter. That's, that's exactly <laughs> correct. Yeah, totally. But, and here's a cool thing. I actually love this about the AIs. When we are concerned about bias and data, that we need to de-bias the data, and, and honestly, we've only begun work on what that even means. What does it mean to be biased? Yeah. What is a cultural bias yeah. versus a universal yeah. human value that yeah. needs to be, you know, r removed or cleaned up yeah. or gotten rid of? Yeah. Then, then also, it, it, it forces us to think about ourselves, and I really love that. If you made a machine learning algorithm that happens to be biased, that teaches you something about yourself. Right? In, in the cold light of day, if something was you and did the same thing five billion times until it trained up to the, like, the essence of you, it, I, I think that's a great learning tool. No one's going to think about it like that, and no one has. They just sort of talk about it in a reactionary way. But there's some real value to that. I actually love the idea of having this, this sort of um, listener that I can talk to that helps me work through my bias because it can see where yeah. any individual's action I take or statement I make uh, like where that could go taking to its logical extreme. Yeah. I don't know if humans are ready yet for, <laughs> for, for the, uh, the self-reflection that would take to actually 
get over it. I think we live in a world of naive realism. Yeah, oh, I love that. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, it, it's true, like, for example, I'm a designer by trade. I did UX for years. We called it information architecture before. Yeah. Uh, studied literature in college, and we always viewed literature through what we called at the time different critical lenses, which I now know are just different mental models applied yeah. to a different context. Yeah. Um, or at least now that's how, how I would describe it. And there are a lot of people online, there are entire communities around rationalism and mental models and, and really trying to get to the right decision, right? To your point, like we don't care about being, let's see, what's a good way We don't need to feed people's egos. We don't need we to... just need the right answer. Exactly. Right. It's, it's not about being right. It is about seeking the truth and finding the truth. Exactly. And this goes all the way back to the pragmatism of, like, William James, early 20th century, right? Well, probably even before that. I don't know. I do feel like we're... Maybe it's just because I live in my tiny little rationalist bubble, but I do see more and more people talking about this stuff and interested in this stuff. Yep. And I can't help but think inherently most people would rather be right then I don't know you're laughing maybe I'm, I'm, I'm just no like, too I think optimistic you're, I think you're well I think you are optimistic but but I think you're right I just think it's gonna take some time yeah, fair. I think this road has gotten sketchier yeah it's gotten narrower for sure <laughs> the road went from two lanes and a windy road to one lane it's going. very s curvy right now it's sure. pretty beautiful and it's very dappled like the sunlight it's very pretty yeah, yeah. uh as we as we go further into the woods, right, we're going we, we down go the rabbit, further down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah this exactly. is great. <laughs> so, getting back to machine learning mm -hmm. and artificial intelligence, I do think, as I mentioned earlier, I really want to see people start from where they want to end and start with what their vision is, mm -hmm. and then we can work backwards from there to figure out what could potentially go wrong. What I see instead is people sort of being alarmist about what could possibly go wrong with no real end in sight. And that just always ends in this kind of dystopian picture yeah. of, well, imagine a world where people know your every thought, emotion, and hope, and therefore can constantly feed this to you. To I, I've got news for everybody listening. Guess what other people are thinking about you? Nothing. They're thinking about themselves. <laughs> well, <laughs> really. I mean, it's true marketing is designed to manipulate you, but there's good manipulation too, right? Like, Absolutely. Like, if, if I am in... Make better health decisions, exercise, uh, yeah, but, think positive things. Sure, but if I'm at Disneyland, which is a gigantic mega corporation, and I'm waiting in line for Indiana Jones, the line is designed to make me feel like it's taking less time than it is. Yep. That is a great example of good environment design that does, in fact, manipulate you, and yep. yet it's, it's to everyone's best. You can't make the line shorter. Right, so why not make it more pleasant along the way? It's a great analogy. Yeah. So okay, so let, let's go deep down since we're going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Timmy, what is your vision for the future? So I would like to see a world in which everyone is able to use computers to the best of their abilities, imagination, and intelligence. Right now, people are using computers all the time. We talk to computers more than we talk to any individual human throughout the day. And yet we have this sort of siloed set of experiences where people can do a task per application. Part of this is just due to the nature. Uh, but I have a niece, for example, who is on TikTok probably six hours a day. But if she wanted to describe and illustrate and animate a dream that she had last night, she would have no ability to do this. And I think there are several different ways that we can attack the problem. Um, first is to make creation tools that are easier to use, yeah. which I think we're continuing to evolve. And AI can actually help with that, with uh, yeah. procedurally generated things. But I also think that we just need computers to be able to listen and react to humans. Specifically, we do not have operating systems right now that can listen for what I call the no, right? If a computer does something I don't like, if an application yeah. does something I don't yeah. like or don't want it to do, yeah. there's no no, like, yeah. right? Well, this, we see this slightly with notifications where it's like, oh, do you want less notifications or to turn them off? Yeah. We've had computers for 60 years and that's as far as we've gone. Turn off all your notifications. Yes. It's actually liberating. Yes. Just turn them all off. You're gonna check the apps anyway, yep. so I, I did the same how, thing. How about how about better yeah. life hack? Yeah. Leave your phone at home a couple of times a week. Oh, interesting. Wow. Do you do that? 
Yeah. Do you really? really? Oh, I, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. All right. I, are you carrying an iPad or are you, are you cheating here? We no. I it's it's so good for your mental health. I mean, I've not had cell phone service on my phone for 45 minutes now, and I've not had to look at it because mm-hmm. I know it's not there. Yeah. Or if you can't leave it, if you can't leave it at home while you go take a hike in the woods with no spectrum, go to dinner with friends, hang out with real people, put your phone underneath the salt shaker, and whoever picks up their phone first pays the bill pays the bill <laughs> put it down yeah that um, can lead to some like lengthy small talk after dinner that we're, almost <laughs> leaving, we're, like, we're, not, we're not leaving but the bill's getting higher <laughs> at some point what is the cost of the phone just leave yeah. it there. <laughs> uh that's that's cool Oh, but in any case, getting back to the vision for the future, I want to have my computing session in the cloud. I want apps to work interoperably. I want to have a series of containers. Like in my house, I have pasted a little digital interface here, a little digital interface there. I pull up a little inventory and it's got all the things that I want and I can combine them in any given way to do whatever it is I want to do on a computer. Um, Actually, a RISD, I think MFA student, recently posted a concept OS that he uh, made called Mercury. Uh, I highly encourage you all to take a look at it. It just came out, I think, on the 28th on Medium. If you just do a Google search for, or just do a search for Mercury OS, it'll come up. And he had rethought of the concept of an operating system as a series of stated tasks, like I want to check my email, and then everything that you would need in order to effectively check your email, which does not just include your inbox, comes into a set of containers, and this is called a flow state. So you've got your inbox, but then maybe you've also got your calendar open and your map Uh. open. And your cool, to-do the, the list tabs open. that you need for that. Right, and, and you can there. drag and drop in between all of these different, what we now think of as applications, but yeah. if you remove the data layer itself yeah. from the container, yeah. from the visualization, then you have a really robust way to interact with a computer and digital objects in the, in the way that makes sense for you at the time in the mode that you're currently in. The cool thing about this for augmented and mixed reality is that it makes no difference if you're doing this on a 2D screen yeah. display or if you're doing this in a headset that is also showing you a 2D screen or a 3D screen or a, a 3D object if that makes more sense depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Now this is really essential for augmented reality that we start to remove the data layer from the container layer because if I am in augmented reality, if I'm looking through my HoloLens and I have two apps open with two cubes that look identical, one in each application, I cannot and I can't expect any user to context switch between what one app does and the other app does, yep. right? Like if one of them is a modeling app and the other one is a interactivity app and I'm dealing with the same cube, it needs to be the same cube in the same place. So what I'm talking about is like far afield, 50, 100 years, we're gonna have to rethink computers, but we'd start talking about it now. We've been talking about it since the early 2000s. Let's just continue to push this idea forward. Quantum baby. It, it was oh, only a matter yeah. of time before quantum computers came into this podcast. So. <laughs> okay, so let's so talk quantum. Let's talk quantum. Should we pause and quantum later? <laughs> let's, I think, I we, think can, we should quantum we later. Quantum yeah. Later. Yeah. Right. yeah. So part three of this podcast is going to be quantum later around the campfire. was in a block as part of a blockchain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now all of a sudden you are in control. You have an immutable record of yep. truth. And you can cancel it. And you can <laughs> you can turn it, you can, exactly, you can expose you can make what it you highway, want. Uh, so for context, we're talking about uh, why is it bad to have your data collected? Why do I keep hearing people say, oh, but what if the insurance agents uh, know that I have cancer before I do and then me over? The answer to this question is they shouldn't be able to you over, right? Like that's the in, simple In the answer. world that we want to live in, it should be great that everyone knows you have early stage cancer so you can fix it. So now Cole is talking about this concept of a smart citizen who has ultimate control over their data. Yeah, and I just think it's gonna take, so A, it goes back to what we were talking about before, which is how do we get corporations to realize that A, the data they collect is for the benefit of all mankind. Mm-hmm. That's hard to get them over because right now the dividend or the capital payoff or the debt payoff, et cetera, mm-hmm. or the growth is what these guys get rewarded on today. So I think it takes a... a it like takes a, a new system. It takes a what new if, what if, ready? Yeah. Yes. Go. Play what if. Go. Yes. You actually bought some camp cards, what if. But here's a big I what did. if. <laughs> so what if we had a, a new system and it was an education-based system that instead of charging people to learn, you got paid to learn. So every time you learn something... What is it, Scandinavia? <laughs> 
Well, I come from Canada. We have socialized everything. Come on now. But we paid you to learn. Yep. And so little microcurrency. Five minutes of reading gets you five points or whatever on, on your blockchain ledger, right? But what if that same system also took care of your healthcare, your insurance, your uh, banking needs, everything that you need, and like kind of like WeChat, but instead of a, one corporation owning it, you are actually, as you progressed in the education component and you graduate, you become an equity shareholder in the company. And the company that has paid you to learn the whole time now is selling you all the, the services you need, but you own that company that's selling you the services. So you've basically created like a shareholding system, yeah. but nobody can own more than anybody else. Everybody's equal in it, and it automatically waterfall distributes the profits. What the profits are? The profits would come from a number of different ways. Okay. So the participants in the program are, are being educated and trained and mindset and uh, maybe it's a percentage of their income in perpetuity or something like that, but they always own this company, right? I don't know what that looks like in long term, but the company itself can make products that are sold outside of the of the network, right? So it can make products like a healthcare product. If you make the best healthcare insurance in the world for your members, other people outside are going to want it as well, and you can give it, make it available to other people. There, make it a huge profit center, right? But so if they didn't grow up in the system, can they? They join? can only access certain services that are profitable to the system, and but the, the people. You have to go through the system to be part of it. You can't, after 18, you're not allowed in. Like, you have to go through the system, graduate it from it, and now you're in it. And you're in it for life. Sounds a little casty. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I've been working on different ways to, to solve this uh, at scale around the globe. So then now you have a, a global citizens all interconnected with the only purpose of helping each other. So, one thing that has always puzzled me mm -hmm. is why doesn't socialism work unless? It's kind of sneaked in. Like, socialism is a great idea, actually, I, I think. I agree. In, 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 as a concept, and, and like on paper, I'm like, sure, that, absolutely. This is sort of a tribal, communal way humans kind of inherently want to work and think anyway. what? And, and yet, at scale, or when people claim they're going to start a socialism or, or, or communist country, it always ends up being a cult of a personality. Right, it always yep. ends up actually yep. being a, yep. a fascist society yep. instead, and yet they call themselves that. Because so, it's usually by some egotistical leader. But why who, do you think that is? Well, why do you think you have the president you have here? Oh. The public can be easily swayed by showmanship and flashy shit. Is it fair to say that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts oh, absolutely? Sorry. I, I'm not so much talking about like the cult of personality. Nice. Like, person. I, I see what you did there. <laughs> But why can't we just do socialism from the get-go as but a stated goal, sans goal This is what I'm proposing. Complete yeah. social, uh, a new social exchange where everybody benefits from yeah, it. We're going we into the experience economy, so we're not going to need to buy cars. We're really not going to need to buy houses. We can live anywhere. And imagine you don't need to have to own anything, but you have, need to have access yeah. and experience everything. Yeah. 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 And so what if... Part of the program was experiences, and as you educated yourself more and became more valuable to the organization, you got invited to more and more experiences. Yeah, I think I think this has to start. So today we talk about the, I don't, know, I think it's up to 75 billion connected devices by 2025. It's, it's ridiculous. So 44 zettabytes by yeah. 2020. Correct, uh, and 120 zettabytes by 2025. I didn't even know what a zettabyte was. It's a thousand. Uh, a zettabyte is a thousand terabytes. Thank God we have a data scientist. Be beyond yeah, right? the, the Internet of Things, I think, as you pointed out, the the experience. So today we have what's called the knowledge economy. Mm -hmm. I, I but I think after IoT, after the Internet of Things, we start thinking about the Internet of Skills. Mm -hmm. yep. And with that, with the Internet of Skills, you can. You, I think you're gonna finally get to a place where end to end. You could build the proper incentives for contextualizing what's good for a corporation in context of what's good for a human. What if the only goal of the corporation was the well-being of the of the students and of the members and owners of the corporation? Have and you read the Diamond well, Age? What is yes. It? Yeah, Diamond Age has corporations as sort of citizen-state economies where with with class systems. Oh, I gotta read that. Embedded. Yeah. It's good, but that's funny. I, I'm reminded of a company. I mean, you guys remember back 
back in the early, early, early 2000s around Napster and what was happening. And it had prompted me to think about a company that it would, it, would it be illegal? Now, obviously put, put your hat on from like 20 years ago when this was controversial, but could you build a company where if you were a monthly subscriber, well, that came in the form of some sort of uh, stock in the company or shareholder, mm -hmm. and you can provide that platform to your shareholders. Yep. Back then, could you do some kind of peer-to-peer -peer network where as a shareholder, you're entitled to the content that sits on that network? Mm. Uh, like Usenet. A little bit, a <laughs> little bit. So, but it takes, I mean, good luck. I don't know if you guys read the book and for, for you guys listening, I don't I know. know if you've ever read Flash Boys. Oh, I've heard that. I've not Fantastic read. Michael Lewis uh, book. And he actually has a, a podcast, Michael Lewis has a podcast, and he did a recent podcast, fairly recent, uh, called The Magic Shoebox. Okay. Really interesting. Wow. And it's all about high-frequency trading and the latency associated with high-frequency trading. Mm. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Ronan Ryan who, uh, who went and created an entirely new stock exchange just to create fairness oh. in the oh, stock exchange. Wow. So coiled up. Miles and miles, miles so of fiber. Got rid of the, got rid of the HFT guys. Okay. So it it took no skill at all. So the idea of stock exchanges, where you are informed enough about the mission of a company that you feel like you want to invest in what that company is doing and where mm. it's going. Mm -hmm. High frequency trading came about, and a lot of these companies, just because they were one or two milliseconds faster, right. they just saw big buys happening yep. so they could get in front of that, they could yep. buy it and then sell it to the actual purchaser yep. oh, uh, and make, make the points in between. Billions yeah. of dollars. So I think the major problems in the world <laughs> can be solved by putting a leash on bankers. Huh. Because they I think tend yeah. to make the rules yeah. in their own favor and that's how you ended up with... Money the, makes the world go round. You yeah. ended up with a trillion dollar buyout or that's whatever right. it was, right. bailout rather. That's right. And here's the thing, many people don't realize this right now in America. Many people don't, don't they don't realize that the, the problem in 2008 with the, the mortgages, the subprime mortgages, yeah. it's being done all over again with retail properties. So mm -hmm. all these big malls that are now empty because the big players have pulled out and the empties, the malls are dead. Yep. Mm -hmm. They're all still being traded as, as if they were full at AAA real estate rates. So yeah. wait, just, uh, just very ironically, you know the guy that ran that hedge fund yeah. is at Curiosity Camp today. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, we'll talk to him about it. Let's have a little conversation let's, about let's, this guy. Let's see how he feels about it. No, he loss. was the guy that went to, went to Goldman Sachs and said, hey, if you're going to do this, this is what we want to do and we can short all of this stuff. Amazing. Well, he wow. saw an opportunity. If you guys are up for it, whether whether it's at Curiosity Camp next year or someplace else, I'm I'm down to do, make this an annual special edition podcast. This <laughs> is I love it. I agree. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> you were talking about um, you can just create the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's just a, a curious property of money, uh, and I, I think also again just that the fact that modern economics is just not very old. It's like as old as the Enlightenment, yeah. right? We started stock yeah. trading and the rise of what is now the modern day corporation. And that's that you do what you want until a law stops you, and usually you can do what you want at least once before someone makes a law to stop you from doing it again. Do you right? guys know this guy, uh, John Lefebvre? No. John Lefebvre has this the Twitter handle. GS Elevator. Okay. So I don't know if you've seen any of the, oh, yes, the tweets. Oh, uh, yes, 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 yes. Goldman Sachs Elevator overheard. Yes. yes. So, so he, he actually never worked at Goldman Sachs, but he wrote a book. He did run the syndicate desk for like City, okay. uh, if I remember correctly. But he wrote a book called Straight to Hell, Deviance, Debauchery, and Billion Dollar Deals. And okay. it was all about investment banking in the 90s. Love it. And it is a, it's a, I highly recommend read. It's very short, uh, but really good read. And you do make up the rules. Oh, no, thank you as you yeah. go along. Yep. Right. It's partly like interior social motivation, like obviously you want to win the people who do this are highly competitive by nature, et cetera, et cetera. But also you, you do have a mandate to make money, yeah. right? Like however you feel you can yeah. best do that within the law and within your own ethical practices or whatever you think. I was listening to Knowledge Project recently and uh, I forget who was being interviewed, but they were talking about um, Enron. And how the CEO thought of himself as a fundamentally moral person who was doing the right thing. Right. And people kind of laugh, but even his, I guess, pastor vouched for him hmm. as just being this just fundamentally good person. And I think there, there comes a point, especially when you are, when your authority means that you have the responsibility for multiple different large-scale entities, the corporation itself, the shareholders, and then the people in that corporation. Yeah. 
I can see where you think you're really working in the best interests of all, against all of what anyone would call conventional morality. Yeah, 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 the whole banality of evil, yada, yada, I get it. But, like, I understand where this is not something humans are good at thinking through yeah. on a macro scale. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't agree more. You end up having to do some pretty gigantic mental gymnastics to get to what Enrod did and say, yep, there were ethics and, and good, good intent behind those decisions. Right. But and yet you could see where they got there. Totally. Yeah. Say la vie. No, so, so, so say we all. Oh, so say or we say all. say la vie. Say la vie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Both. Interchangeable. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we just pulled into this scout. <laughs> scout. Oh my I feel like, god! I feel like we're in a boat in like choppy water. <laughs> we are in a boat of a truck. But yeah. Okay. Scout camp is beautiful though. Oh, so speaking of, you were talking about your first time doing virtual reality. My first time doing virtual reality was um, at I.O. in 2013. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know, reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors we have over 56 mentors and if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one -on one-hour -one, one call with one of the mentors and what we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions we're transcribing them taking out any personal information and we're making those transcripts available to all members so i think xr ignite is going to drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates we want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com. And I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.